the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibit, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 Submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 614. All right, we are back. It is on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, the rating all aspects of the Bond film series. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host... Alan J. Porter, and we're actually in the same room. How about that? We are in the same room, and we just got to spend the morning looking at James Bond vehicles, huh? Yeah, it's very cool. That was really, really cool. We were at the uh, the Bond in Motion exhibit. Those that listen to our shows and see our videos and stuff already know all that, but um, but just in case you didn't know, we were um, we were asked to, or allowed to come and, uh, and do our show there. We did a special episode that you may have already heard by now, probably, depending on when this posts where we actually talked about Bond vehicles while we were surrounded by Bond vehicles. So um, before we get into our show, Alan, what did, what, what's kind of your takeaway from doing our show at the Peterson Museum today? One, I'm still blown away that they let us do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, very kind of them to let us do it. And it was just great to see all those vehicles um, on display like that and the stories behind them and just introducing, I think, the wider audience to the Bond vehicles. Hopefully it gets people who look at them to go back and look at their old Bond other earlier Bond movies. I think I think you said it. It was one of the things walking around. You saw each vehicle, and you're like, "Oh, I remember that." And I, it sort of brings back memories of what scene they were used in, and what movie they were used in, and what cool things they did. And it it sort of triggered a lot of those memories of like, "Yeah, I want to go back and watch that." So. And it and I was also saying that it, it um, seeing them in the flesh, basically seeing them real, live, not just on the screen, not just pictures, but real has a power to it that you can't replicate in a photograph or even right. in a movie. And it's and you know, you realize like how big something is or what color something is or how complex it is and you can see all the damage that was done. Maybe in the movie it just zips past, you know, and you can actually see where the carbon fiber is ripped and all that. And it's just really fascinating. And and I hope that it it gets more people into the movies because they see those vehicles and they're like, oh I want to know what this is from. Yeah. You know, too. Yeah. So yeah. Yes, it was very cool. Very neat. All right. Well, our job today, should we choose to accept it, and we are, is we are to episode two of our series, which is we're going to look at From Russia with Love. And I was able to actually watch it again for like the 50th time on the flight out here from uh, from St. Louis to L.A. So we are recording From Russia with Love live in Los Angeles. And... Um, I guess we'll uh, get on into it, but I think what we've done previously, what we do with Dr. No, is we talk a little bit about it first in terms of like watching it again, and I forget exactly how we did it, but we had just our general thoughts about it. Yeah, so I watched it again, what day are we? We're on Saturday, so I watched it on 
Thursday evening, mm-hmm. um, just before we came out here, the, the night before we came out here. So it was good to good to rewatch it. Um, I know I, I sort of did a lot of my notes from memory. Um, it was just one of those movies that once I started to think about it, stuff started to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good good to just sit down and watch it through again. I really enjoyed it again. Um, we'll get into it, but uh, it is one of my favorite museum, sort of one of my top five Bond movies overall. So, and it, I, I lost count of the amount of times I've watched this movie. It's oh, just, yeah. It's just, yeah. It is just, for me, sort of one of my two go-to Connery movies. So. I have some thoughts along that line that I will get to as we come to them. I think they're in my notes, but um, yeah, it's just a solid movie, and it's a solid spy movie. It's mm-hmm. it's it's um it's interesting to note. We talk about how Bond kind of goes from being a spy to being a superhero, stopping the world from being destroyed or something, which is true. But it's interesting to note that Doctor No is more of the almost superhero stuff, and at least part of it, where yeah. he's fighting the giant supervillain. And then this movie is much more down to... This movie, to me, seems in some ways like it should have been the first one. In some ways, yeah, I can see that, yeah. But I don't think it would have captured people's imaginations quite so much. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, it is much more a traditional spy story, more realistic. It's not the hyper-realism of Bond, it is no. really more the street-level realism uh, of the Cold War. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I like it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I have more to say about that, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So, shall we go into our categories? Yeah, sure. All right. So our first thing we like to rank is the plot slash story. So um, what are you, what is your number and why for the plot and the story for Much With Love? Um, I give this a 9 out of 10 mm-hmm. for the plot. Um, like I said, one of the things for me on my scoring is how, how close are the, is the movie to, to the, the source material, the Fleming adaptation. Um, it really is very much the second half of the book. I mean, the first half of the book is pretty much setting up the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the movie couldn't really do that. So it does, the plot is sort of revealed as it goes along rather than it being the setup as it in the, in the book. But when you actually get to Bond being on scene and all the stuff in, in uh, Istanbul, um, other than the fact that, you know, they changed Smirsh, the bad guys in the book are Smirsh and in <laughs> right. here Spectre. Um, very politically astute at the time uh, move so other than that you know other, it's pretty much bang on the the book other than of course at the end of the book it, Bond does get stabbed sorry spoiler alert mm-hmm. at the end of the book Bond does get stabbed by Rosa Clare and may or may not be de- dead depending on how Fleming was feeling the next year as to whether he wanted to write <laughs> another book or not um, but other than that it it's very very close to the one of the closest adaptations of a Fleming novel. So for me, that was a high score. Um, we talked about it being street level, good Cold War spycraft. One of my other things is, you know, is it was this something that's feasible and possible? Yes. I mean, there are so many stories out there of honey honey traps being used mm. to, you know, catch spies or double cross and things like that. So you know, those that's a common technique. Sending an agent in, knowing it's a trap, just to find out why it's a trap and what's going on. That, that's pretty realistic. It actually happens. And, you know, it's a pretty reasonable strategy. So, yeah, it's feasible, it's realistic, and it's very close to the Fleming story. Um, I didn't give it a 10 out of 10 because it's not exactly the Fleming story, but I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Well, I was going to ask you, is it one of the – I know it has to be one of, but is it possibly the closest to the novel? Is there another one that's closer? Um, there's a couple that are close. I mean, the second half of Casino Royale is – Close to the novel, on a Majesty's Secret Service is close. To the yeah, novel. that's yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's yeah, it, it ranks up there with those. I got to tell you, 
uh, as far as honey traps go, Daniela Bianchi could make me change sides in the Cold <laughs> War pretty quick. Comrade, yes. Yes. She's uh, something, um, which we'll get to. I gave it an eight, and that is I took away a point for it being so simple, but then I gave it a bonus point for being simple because I could understand it. Some of them I get kind of confused. There, there are Bond movies that I, I'm still to this day going, I think I know what's going on, but I'm not 100% sure. And this one is very, it's not too simple, but it's you can follow exactly the whole deal, right? It's he's you know, he, he wants to find out, like you said, why it's a trap and why it's a trap. And that was even, you know, Kronstein said, my reading of the British spy mind is that they're going to want to know. They're, 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 it's a challenge, right? They're right. going to want to know what the deal is. And so um, I like that he goes into it with his eyes wide open. And it's, there's always kind of a, in fact, that's something it shares with Dr. No. I hadn't thought about is that in both cases, Connery's Bond knows something uh, that he's not necessarily supposed to know and kind of deals with a woman in the process. There's the, there's the lady in, um, in Dr. No that he goes up and romances in the, in the little house, you know, where he knows she's up to no good, but she's not sure he knows, you know, and you got a little bit of that with, um, with Danielle Bianchi in this movie where she's, kind of playing like she's with the Russians, but then she's more with him. And yeah. and it's and then she's really with Spectre. It's like there's three different angles. Which she doesn't know. Which she doesn't even know, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of interesting. So, um, But yeah, so I go in eight. And, and, and really, I mean, it's hard for me to think one has a story I like. I guess it's, I guess it's just that it never... It street level is good, but there's some there's some big dynamic things in other yeah. movies. I, I know a couple of people who've sometimes got confused over sort of the Ronald... The, the, the Red Grant mm-hmm. stuff in the beginning and why he's doing what he's doing and don't really catch on to the fact that, that Spectre's trying to set the Russians and the British Secret Service against each other. Right. Um, and that really comes over in the, in the book, but it doesn't really... I, I know there's a few people I've spoken to who've watched this movie and don't really get that angle until you explain it to them and then they're like, oh, okay. That's, that's a good point. It's not quite obvious in the, the, the way no. it's filmed. But, uh, no, you're right. I, I thought that's true. That's true. Okay. All right, so locations. Um, this is what was your score? quite a t- much score for the plot eight. was eight. eight. Yes, okay. sorry. L- locations. Um, for me, seven out of ten. Okay. Um, I think Turkey with the perfect location for an east-west, mm-hmm. uh, you know, intrigue and shenanigans. Uh, it was a perfect backdrop. Uh, the stuff on the train is stuff is is fun too. Uh, never quite sure if that's meant to be the Orient Express or just a train. Yeah, uh, but it, it was it was good stuff, uh, and that tight claustrophobic setting and stuff I thought was really cool. Um, what brings it down for me is more towards the end of the movie, the lake, the chase, the chase with the helicopter through the hills, and the, then the, the boat chase. Maybe it's because I know it, but to me it just screams Scotland, which is where it's filmed. <laughs> it's, I know it's meant to be part of the Baltics or whatever. I'm never yeah. quite sure where exactly it's meant to be. The Balkans. Yes. Balkans. Close. <laughs> Balkans, Baltics, whatever. But um, but whenever I see it, it's just it's just like, it's so Scotland. So that sort of throws me out. Um, and the the stuff that they did in Venice when they didn't actually go to Venice, it was all just back, bad back projection. Yes. Uh, at the end sort of throws it. So, yeah, that's true. Um, so for me, that's that sort of knocks it down to a seven. But I think the, the Istanbul... 
um, Turkey location was perfect. And again, just the fact that they went back to there later on when they were doing east-west mm-hmm. stuff in, in the Pierce Brosnan era shows how good a location it is. Uh, and they also did it in uh, with Daniel Craig. So they went to Istanbul, Turkey three times. Um, so they did. Yeah. And we get to see the the underground reservoir of Constantine, allegedly, which was kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I was wondering why Nessie kind of slithers by in the background in, <laughs> in, in Serbia, but now I know. All right, I gave it a six. I'm one off of. I'm one down from you and everything so far. I gave it a six because it's it's good to get away from the Caribbean because it seems like even though this is only the second one, it seems like a lot of the early ones are set in the Caribbean, and that's. Fleming, right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's his thing. But this one is so different. This one, Dr. No is bright and colorful and sunny. And this movie almost seems like a black and white movie. There's not a lot of color in this movie, honestly. I mean, it's a very, it's even, even the parts of this movie that are color, colorful are almost sepia. Like even when you see Daniela Bianchi's outfit, it's like white and kind of a light rust color, gold color, rather than red, blue, green. Right. Whereas Doctor No was looked like right. Gilligan's Island, reds yeah. and blues and bright. You yeah. know. So I, this is I haven't movie. thought about it, but this actually would work as a really good noir. Yes. Movie. Yeah. It it could be black and white. You wouldn't lose hardly anything. No. There's not a lot of. Color. It's very gloomy. Um, you, I, I have a note. You can't go wrong with Istanbul, even though and a train. Those are great Bond yeah. things. The thing about Istanbul to me is I don't love the cinematography for it. I feel like it's kind of like what you said about about going to Venice. I feel like there's a few scenes where you feel like you're in Turkey, but and I guess the main one is inside the Hagia Sophia, the right. the, the big church. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, it all could have been filmed on a soundstage almost, it seems like. So I just, I never, I never got this sense of grandeur that we're looking at this really exotic location. It, it just seemed like simulating an exotic location. There was a lot location. of street scenes, though, that were done in Istanbul. Yeah. Like, well, that's the ones I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the rocky outside of buildings and all. Outside the Russian consulate and mm-hmm. stuff and then driving around. And driving stuff. around, yeah. that's. Yeah. But even that is almost black and white. I just When I think of this movie, I don't see color. Yeah. I see black and white shades. I never thought of it as a noir movie, but that's a very interesting take. Um, and we get to go to Spectre Island. Hey. Yeah. I, I, I was like... That needs to be a Universal's Islands of Adventure Island. Is Spectre <laughs> Island where it's flamethrowers and machine guns and knife throwing and everything? That would be good. But uh, but I mean, the interesting thing is that that's sort of a f- first in the fact that it's the first time you see that training montage type thing. That's true. Which you normally associate with the good guys in yes. action movies, but it was actually introduced with the villains. Um, After this, we see it with you start with to see MI6. It with, it, yeah, you start to see it with MI6, and then it becomes a trope in most of the other mm-hmm. adventure movies that you, you get that training montage or you get that training facility. But it really starts with the bad guys, it which does. is interesting. The other thing, I don't know if you've ever actually noticed that, but they actually walk through it twice. So to make it look longer? To make it look twice as long. I'm too busy laughing about... We so use, they've obviously yes. filmed it from two, two separate angles, like uh, no. one... A tracking shot following them as they go through, and then a distant shot watching walking them. That's and they've just good. spliced the two together. So, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm always distracted by him talking about yes, we use live targets yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy who who goes on to be uh, the Soviet leader, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later yeah. on, Gogol. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, um, and my last thought is just it doesn't have very many locations. It, it seems to where the Bond movies later get a formula of three or four yeah. kind of exotic locations. This one really only has one and a half, maybe, if you count the train as a... Yeah. Or around the, the boats and everything, but yeah, so... Yeah. Okay. Villains. Now, this raises a big question, because again, later on, the movies kind of have a formula where there's one main villain and some henchmen and henchwomen, but... This movie is kind of fuzzy even on that. So, actually, that's my my first note is who is the villain here? Yeah, I don't know. And so, is it Rosa Klebb? Is it Blofeld? Is it Kronstein? Is it Red Grant? So, as we have a villain section and a henchman section, I sort of divided. Okay. So, for villains, I went for the mysterious number one, the head of Spectre, yeah. and Rosa Klebb. Yeah. And then I put Kronstein and Red Grant in the henchman section. So, we'll get to them. So for me, the villains was Rosa Klebb and, and the number one Spectre. Um, I thought the number one Spectre, it was a great intro. It was mm-hmm. a great way to introduce him. I love the whole thing with the Siamese fighting fish that he explains you know, how Spectre works and stuff. And he's very mysterious and also laid back and very calm and stuff. Even great, great voice. Yeah. That voice. I mean, they use a different act. They use one actor for the hands and the, and the <laughs> body and another actor for the voice. Um, but yeah, it was really good. Um, and then... Rosa Klebb is just wonderfully creepy. No, oh, she's fantastic. Very toned down from the book. She's even creepier and more disgusting in the book than she is in the... In, I've in read the, this one, but I don't remember, so I have to go back uh, and read it again. But, uh, but she was still came across as very creepy, very ruthless, brilliantly played by uh, Lotto Lenya. Um, so, yeah, I thought she, she really wasn't it. I'm not sure if she's an iconic... Bond villain, but she's pretty close to it. She's a very recognisable. Yes, Bond I villain. think so. Yeah, close, close to it. You know, I'm just thinking back to you know when the James Bond radio guys talk about is somebody iconic? Would you put them on the poster? Right. And I'm not sure. Sh- yeah, I'm not sure I, you would. I, in in NCAA tournament terms, we would say she's first four out. Yeah. Meaning not quite there, but if you added four more, she would make it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So for me, that uh, I gave uh, Spectre number one and Rosa Klebb an eight. There are those who argue that Red Grant is the villain. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair enough. I put him under henchman, but yes, I, I you know I mean, he to me he's kind of the prototype Jaws almost. He's yeah. like the prototype big physical threat henchman, yeah. but yeah. yet he dominates the movie so much yeah. that um, yeah you can make that argument. That's the thing is that you can make that argument. I mean clearly Kronstein is a henchman, right? But after him, the other three, any one of them could be the main, yep. depending on how you look at it. Yep. I'm going with the cat. I think the cat's the main villain. <laughs> I always thought the cat. This is, this is yeah, the first yeah, time we see the cat. Yeah, horrible little thing. Yeah, it did. And this is the first time we see the, the cat. I think it's the first time we actually see the, see the cat in the lap mm. in a Bond movie. It is, yeah. And, it, and it's just so great. Everybody loves it. Um, that was the only good thing about Spectre, the movie. Um, well, a couple of things. So I went with, I said a big question mark, I don't know who the villain is, and so I just gave it a seven because they're all pretty cool. I don't have any complaints about any of the villains. I'm just not sure who's what, so seven. Okay. You're keeping track on the one less than me. So. Yeah, there we go. All right, so Henchman. Henchman. So for me, that was Kronstein and Red Grant. Um, I love Kronstein, he's the perfect planner. What I love about Kronstein is he can't accept at the end, even though it kills him, that he made a misjudgment. Yeah. It's not him, it's the rest of the world that's wrong. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a great character thing, brilliantly played. Um, But Red Grant is just, I don't know, he's he's the anti-Bond, he's Bond's cracked reflection. He is... (laughs) I love the fact that 
he is the through line of the movie. I mean, he's literally there from the first scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, you see him in these, in the background and he's, he's Bond's guardian angel, but he's also Bond's nemesis. Yes. Um, which I thought was brilliant. I don't think they've ever done anything like that. And always that. lurking. You see him in the background. background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which again, they, they sort of isn't in the book. He doesn't, he's not around for so much of the Istanbul scenes in the book. And I actually think that's an improvement with what they did in the movie that they actually added him into these things and made him Bond's guardian angel. I thought that was really cool. I love the fact that he never speaks until they actually get face oh, yeah. to face. That's right. You never hear. Him I speak. didn't. That's a, that's one of those things that you realize when you say it. Yeah. But I wouldn't. Have. Even when they're pass, exchanging the passcodes on the railway station, oh, you you don't hear them speak. That's right. He goes. It kind of like you hear the train noise. You and hear stuff. all the train noise. Yeah. And, steam, and you know what they're saying because you see the mouth movements. What? And you've heard three or four people do it already. But you never. Even when he does it, when he does it with Nash and when he does it with Bond, you never hear him do I, that. I knew that that happened. I, in fact, yesterday on the plane watching the movie again, I said to myself, why don't we hear this conversation? And it didn't dawn on me that we haven't heard him at all yet. No. You never hear him until he walks into the, uh, into the, on, gets onto the train. So that gets was face to face with Bond. So that was a plan. Yeah. And I wonder what, I, I mean, it works, but That's I wonder. A brilliant storytelling technique. I guess they just thought that that would have some power Apparently. to it and it does. It does. So for me, yeah, it was a 10 out of 10. Benjamin. Uh, for me, Red Grant is like I love Cronstein too, and Red Grant is right up there. Yeah, yeah, and um, Grant. The, oh, the thing that I always forget. I always forget how how early, relatively speaking, Grant is defeated because I want to think he goes to the end. Yeah. But all the stuff with the getting off the train and the boats, and then in the yeah, hotel he's room, yeah. he's all yeah he. It's like he's waiting and waiting and waiting, and then you get the big red grant seal of the train, and he's disposed of, and there's still 20 minutes, yeah. 25 minutes to go in the movie. That always, it always surprises me again. Yeah. Because I feel like he should be there all the way till the end. It's like if in Jaws they beat the shark and then had 25 more minutes of them dealing with barracudas or something <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. The, in the ocean. All right. Um, I gave the henchmen a nine, so yeah, we are, which, I mean, they are really, there's only a couple of other henchmen groups that are better than whichever ones of these you want to count, and so they're the next, they're in the top three probably to me, so I gave them a nine. Cool. All right. You know what category we're to now, the Bond girls, woohoo. Um, so again, I'm going with two Bond girls, Sylvia Trench, it was great to see her again. Oh, I didn't think about her, yeah. Um, shame it was the last time, because... Um, I think Eunice Grayson's agreement for six movies was with Terence Young and not with the studio and when he wasn't the director anymore they didn't use it so oh, okay. um, but I thought it was great to see her again she, she, you know, she, um, that's the most continuity we get in those early bonds is well, the, other, other than that and the fact that he, he mentioned well Inspector he mentions Dr. No Dr. No gets mentioned. mentioned in the Spectre thing and she makes the thing about the fact that it's been six months last time we were together you got you went to Jamaica and it's been six months yes yeah yeah. so, so that was kind of cool so when, we when we've talked about Quantum, uh, Quantum of Solace being the first direct sequel it's actually not from Russia yeah, with Love yeah from Russia with Love is a direct sequel to Dr. No yeah and there yeah I, I always forget that um, so Sylvie French is great I, I like her Titania Romanov uh, Daniela Bianchi very pretty um, yes Gorgeous, but really character-wise, just just a plot device. Really, yeah. she doesn't really go through a character arc. What I I wish they'd done in the movie, which sort of comes across a little bit in the books later on, the later books, 
when it refers back to the events is that there's a subtext that but she just basically used Bond to get to the UK and she gets to the UK and like disappears and he's like well I just got used um, and I wish they'd sort of woven that a bit into the, into the movie give her a bit of a stronger thing that she actually saw this assignment as an opportunity get out of your way to defect get to the west and be gone and was fooling Bond about uh, being all in love uh, with him uh, and everything uh, which would make more sense yes. because Who's going to fall in love with him, you know, yeah, yeah. instantly or with the photo or whatever? So yeah, yeah. that that would have made her a better character and a stronger character. So yeah. because, of, because of that, I gave uh, them a seven. So. Okay. Well, I kind of want to count Rosa Klebb as a Bond girl in this movie. <laughs> and so That's I go... Interesting, Phil. <laughs> so well, she's, she's an interesting one. So I go eight. I actually went one higher than you for a right. change. Just because I love... Uh, I keep calling her Daniela Bianchi because I don't know what her character's name is. Tatiana? Or Tatiana, Tatiana, yeah. Tatiana, yeah. And um, she's wonderful. I agree. I mean, I it's it's got a very 60s thing where she is all just like, I'm in love with you, marry me, let's have children, as opposed to being her own character who's not about the husband and the right, man and everything, yeah. which is tiresome. I get so tired of that. But um, there's also the two gypsy women. Oh yeah. So they're yeah, they're the only time Bond's ever had a threesome. Yeah, and it's I mean it's pretty freaking clear <laughs> that what's going on there, you know, because yeah. they're like hating each other, and then one night with Bond, and they're like best buddies, sewing up his shirt and bringing in breakfast and everything, and you're just like, he he can he can do what he does to pussy galore, and he can <laughs> and he can do what he does with the with the um, the gypsy girls. He has magic. Love making powers, apparently. <laughs> so, so yeah, Bond Girls gets an eight okay. from me. Bond Allies. Ooh, this is a very, very important Bond Ally movie. It is. It's one of the big ones, I think. Yes. Um, Ali Kareem Bey. Okay, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Okay. Okay. Because a Turkish friend of mine told me. So Bey is an honorific. Mm-hmm. It's not his last name. His no, name no. His not Kareem Bey. Right. It's his like... name is Ali Kareem and he's the bay. And he's the bay. It's like Sam in Japanese. So, sorry, anybody who calls him Kareem Bay, he always gets my backup. And unfortunately, on the credits, he's actually listed as Kareem Bay. Uh, Even though in the movie, he's actually called Ali Kareem or Ali Kareem Bay, which is correct. Anyway, so I'll get off that soapbox. Um, I, he's got to be one of the top three allies um he is top three that's why actually my note is kareem but kareem bay sorry is, <laughs> is one of the top three bond allies yeah. it says right here on my note so uh yeah he's a friend he's a father figure he's a mentor um, he's funny he's fun um and he's got a few dubious views about women which again is toned down from the book the book <laughs> is just ah god talk about misogynistic oh yeah um passages um I love the, the he's got allies everywhere that he you know he employs his sons in mm-hmm. you know who he seems to not know the names of any of his sons um, <laughs> but a boys you know, he's got so many um, but yeah he's just fun and then you've got the whole stuff that was actually going on with the actor with Pedro Armadez yes. the fact that he was in the very last stages of cancer was dying from cancer and I actually I mentioned that watching it the other night with Jill and I you know she said about oh you know it's such a, a tragic story arc 
And I was like, yeah, for the character and the actor. And she said, what do you mean about the actor? So I told her the story about mm. the fact he had terminal cancer and was in great pain. And, you know, they literally had to hold him up in some scenes and they changed the, the, the shooting order of the movie just so he could get his stuff in as early as possible. And she said, I would never have known. Yeah. She, said, she said, I didn't know the story. And now you tell me. And I was like, she was like, yeah, I can see a couple of places where they probably use a body double. Mm-hmm. And she said, but she... she didn't know the story and he's so upbeat and he's so upbeat and yeah just charming oh, super. And full of life and stuff to know what was going on in the background just um makes me admire him um even more um just a remarkable performance uh, and it's a great character a great story arc um a tragic story arc and uh, really fun I think he, he elevates the movie in a charming way and he says charming yes charming <laughs> because you know, there's a lot about it that's kind of down. You got the villains, and then Connery's Bond is having to be kind of dour in a lot of it, and be you know yeah. he's having to be very negative toward uh, Tatiana and whatever. Whereas you know, Kareem gives you a a character that's nothing but upside. He's right. nothing but positive, nothing but bright and fun and funny. Yeah, and, and he knows that basically, for one of a better phrase, that she's stroking Bond's ego. You know, when he's when he says, "Oh, you know, she'll do anything I say," and he's like. Anything really? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like, you know, are you sure? Um, so yeah, I, I just love that whole interplay between the two, and there's great interplay between um, the two actors as well. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't there a line too where they say something about he's trying to he, he's in the business of putting a lot of sons in the world or something, yeah, yeah. a lot of kids or something? Yeah. 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 Judging by the way he carries on with his secretaries and all, I think that seems to be the case. Yeah. So he he got a ten for me. Fortunately, I was resting on the divan over there. <laughs> yeah. Bond immediately like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah resting on the divan. Um, so yeah, I gave him. I gave the Bond allies a nine. The only reason I didn't give it a ten is there's no Felix Leiter. If there had been a Felix appearance and Kareem in this movie, it would have been like the greatest Bond ally movie ever. Because there's only. Uh, to me, there's only one other Bond. Uh, the, the, to me, the to me the Mount Rushmore, but just the top three of Bond allies are Bay, and Tiger, and Felix. Yeah, it's 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 Ali Kareem, Tiger Tanaka, and not Felix for me. It's Mark Andrew Draco from. Oh, from Modern Majesty Secret Service. Yeah, I always forget about him because he's he doesn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so that gives away our ally score for those three movies. <laughs> yeah, pretty much does. Yeah, so that was a nine for me, but just because there's no feelings. Okay, this is interesting. I'm really curious what you're going to say. Vehicles from this movie. There's only really one memorable vehicle in it. It was actually outside the front door this morning. I don't know if you noticed it as we were walking in. It's the helicopter. Oh right, right, right. It's the Hella UH-12 helicopter used by Spectre. The yellow one. Yeah. So it lands at Spectre Island with. Uh, Rosa Clever on it, and then it's the one in the in the chase. Um, so yeah, they're used by them at various points in the movie. When I think about it, think about that movie, it's like that North by Northwest chase instead, you know, with the helicopter yeah. and stuff. Um, again, when we were watching it the other night, Jill's like, "It makes no sense. Why, why is he running away from the truck? And why did he take the lector with him?" And so I'm like, "Because it looks cool." She was like, "Okay, all right, whatever." Um, so yeah, it, it, it it's a fun chase. It's a great chase. It's a it's a fun helicopter. That thing was so iconic. That clip got used in other, I don't know if it was authorized or not, but there was a TV show called The Protector and The Protectors, and they actually used that sequence in their opening titles. Yeah, oh, with the helicopter? With the helicopter and stuff, and they used a bit from Thunderball as well. Um, but, uh, wow. you know, 
for an action spy show. So it's it, just that sequence is very iconic. Um, so really, that that's about. I think that's about the only vehicle that sticks in my mind. Yeah. The speedboats were quite nice, but um, and I guess I don't know the train. Would you include the train? Yeah, I guess you could. But, but there's yeah, trains but for, in multiple. But for me, it was the helicopter, pretty much. So I. I gave it a three because it was just like that one vehicle. Okay, I gave it a two, one for the helicopter and one for the boat with the oil drums. The oil drums on the back of the boat is kind of an iconic moment, I thought. So yeah, I mean, I it was a it pretty one. cool moment, yeah. So yeah. two, but it's, it's, I have a note here, this is probably the weakest Bond film for vehicles. I yeah. can't think of one that has fewer memorable or use interesting Bond vehicles than this one. Certainly nothing modern, no. you know, more recent, so yeah. 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 All right, along similar lines, uh, gadgets. And it's eh, a little thin on that too, but there's something. It may be thin on gadgets, but it's got the one that that started it all. Well, it's got the briefcase. The briefcase. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean that that's the icon, you know, the iconic thing of him. It was a practical thing. Um, I love the you know, um, there's two of them too, which always is always strange to me that there's two in that last scene. Well, they say that there's he, M, M says they're standard equipment for agents in the field now, yeah. so it makes sense that Nash would have one. Right, uh, right, right. Um, so yeah, the attaché case. I and mean, when I was growing up, once I got into Bond and stuff in the, you know sixties and seventies, that was the that was the toy everybody wanted was the oh. attaché case okay. with the plastic knife that came out and had you PPK in it. And, we didn't have fifty gold sovereigns in it, unfortunately. Dang it. Um, so yeah, I you know that's and in fact again they referenced it in Goldfinger. Oh, sorry, your attaché case got just damaged and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I forgot about um, that. For me, I think it's it's the one that started the the whole gadgets thing. It's, it, it drove a lot of the merchandising and it was really the start of the the, the gadget stuff. So uh, I, and I think it's just cool. It was it was something that. I mean, we were joking about taking one of the vehicles today, you know, oh, well, you know, at the end of the day, can we take yeah, one of the vehicles? Yeah. But you could take an attaché case. I mean, you could be walking around with an attaché. You might not be driving around in a DB5. But, you, you know, every school kid could have a, you know, an attaché case going to school. We, we used to take, you know, when you had a job, you used to take your briefcases and, and stuff to work with, you know. So mm-hmm. anybody could be walking around with it and feeling like Bond with a with a slim black attaché case. So, uh, so let's talk about what all it's got. So people always remember him. Just watch. It's got the knife that pops out. It's of got the, side. the knife pop. It's got the the uh, ammunition in the like the studs. A sil- like a cylinder that comes out that has the bullets. bullets in it. Yeah. Um, gold uh, sovereigns. Gold sovereigns, and then it's got the talcum powder gas canister that's on a magnet, and you have to open it in a particular and, way. And this is what I don't understand about that. If it's if it's if the gas canister is separate and is just magnetically attached. How does the turning turn the little knobs <laughs> affect that? Yeah, uh, I don't, uh, don't ask too much. Don't yeah. ask that question. <laughs> so. There is one other gadget in this movie that I think is really cool. What's that? Red Grant's. Oh, Red Grant's garage watch. Garage yeah. watch, yeah, man. That's yeah. that's. And then I, the thing I liked was he. It shows him putting it back. Yeah. So like, you could just make a string in there that you pull out with right. no mechanism, and it would and make the sound effect of zzz, like it's it, unreeling. Yeah. But he actually makes it go back in. I'm like, they made that thing work. Yeah. It actually worked, you yeah. know, because he's like slowly putting it back in there. That to me was impressive, was that he could put it back in. Right. And of course, the Bond actually used it to get rid of him. So, he would, like all the good Bond villains, he was dispatched by his own his own weapon, his yeah. own weapon. So, yeah, that was good. So I gave it a nine. 
because for me that that briefcase is just iconic. That's what I wanted growing up and never got. So I gave it just in relation to other movies. I gave it a four because the briefcase is neat, but it doesn't do a whole lot for me. And it and the watch are about the only things in it. So I give it a four. Okay. The pre-credit sequence, the, probably the shortest one. One minute fifty-two seconds. It's got to be the shortest one. Yeah. I don't know if that's the exact time of the pre-credits sequence, but well, that's what he says, how long it took him to... Oh, right. Okay, you're quoting. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be the shortest, though. I can't think of any that are... No. And it was very bright. I mean, again, another first in this movie. Um, I mean, we talked about this before last time, that everybody says Goldfinger is the one that set the template, but really mm. this one yeah. set a lot of the template. Um, and the first pre-credit sequence. And actually starting with the pre-credit sequence where they're killing up second movie in your franchise and you kill off the yeah uh, apparently kill <laughs> so off the, yeah. villain in the, uh, the hero in the first one minute 52 I, did, I didn't read in a book I was reading on the way out which is full of errors so I don't know if this is actually accurate but it said in that that Kirby Broccoli wanted to start every movie with a pre-credit sequence where Bond was apparently killed and overcame overcame thing yeah that would get a little and that would get predictable and tedious tedious, but but it makes I was like oh yeah but then you think about from Russia with love and you think you only live twice and it's like oh okay maybe that's what he wanted to start with but and man with a golden gun kind of yeah yeah, with the statue yeah so yeah I is this uh, this has got to be one of the few opening sequences that doesn't have actual bond in it it has a fake bond. It's got a fake bond in it, yeah. But I mean, there are others, right? Yeah. There's at least a couple. Maybe Octopussy doesn't have bond in it, or does it? No, that's the one with the jet. Never mind. Yeah. I was thinking about the. I was thinking about the twins with the knife, the guy escaping. But that's a separate scene. From yeah, the, that's a separate scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that seems like it should be the opening scene, uh-huh. though. So, all right. Well, maybe it's the only one. I'm not really sure now. I have to think about it. Um, but I thought it was great use of the, uh, the pine wood again, sort of keeping your, the budget down. Uh, that was yeah. shot literally in the grounds of pine, pine wood Studios. Great use of, of that. Um, it looks like the same place as in um, Thunderball. The Shrublands or whatever? Uh, yeah, no, they're two separate places. All right, what about the place where Goldfinger, where he chops the head off the statue? Is that no, that's different. different place? Okay, yeah. it all seems kind of similar. In my they're opinion. very similar architecture, but yeah. they're actually physically different places. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, that was actually the outside the offices of Pinewood Studios. And the, yeah. the ha- Spectre Island was basically the lawn at, Sp- at, uh, <laughs> at Pinewood Studios. They need to move the whole thing to Orlando, <laughs> put it right next to Harry Potter Island and Marvel Island. That would be awesome, Spectre Island. So... Um, so I gave it a seven. Okay, I gave it a nine. It was a bit more generous, I think, partly because it was the first. I think it was, in, you know, it yeah. was very well done. The only thing for me is because when they first did it, um, the guy they had looked a bit too like Sean Connery, and the big reveal at the end wasn't. So they got a guy with a mustache, and also oh, the must. I was gonna. I was wondering about the mustache, and, and they also put wax on Connery's face to make it look a bit more like a mask when he was like in the and um, it doesn't quite work I don't think I, I but I noticed it and it I guess it does kind of what you yeah yeah in, in hindsight yeah I, can I mean the it. thing is we're watching uh, having this conversation with Jared yesterday we're watching a lot of this stuff on DVD yeah on 4k TV screens yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're seeing it on a big screen in 1963 yeah, it's different projection you know 35 mil projection stuff you're not going to you're not going to see those subtleties that we're seeing now so. no I agree yeah that's true that's happened with a lot of things so yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I had it was not a flashy sequence. So what, do you, what do you have? Effective you? seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah, it's very effective and it's short, which I give it a little bit of credit for. Right. All right. The actual credit sequence. And is this um is this uh what's his name that did so many of them? Morris Binder. Morris, yeah, Binder. It seems like it. It's not, and that's the interesting thing. Okay. So it, this is not a Morris Binder opening sequence. It's Robert Brownjohn. Oh right. Okay, I remember that now. Um, but it really again set the template mm-hmm. for what Morris Binder did later on. When you think certainly of, did. You know, projecting the titles on on the women on the women, yeah. and, and it's very simple. I mean, really, it is just a belly dancer with the credits. That's it. Projected across her body as she dances. I mean, it's it's not you know she's not naked. It's not silhouettes. It's not. Mm-hmm. But it, it, but it's very definitely a Bond opening credit. It's a very simple one, but it's very definitely a has that Bond feel. It does. Particularly when you think what came before with Doctor No. Um, and then this one, it's like okay, you can somebody who's not seen it before could watch this and go, yes, this is a Bond movie. Just yeah, I agree. Opening credit. Uh, opening scene. So. Um, I think it really set the style for a series. It's not particularly special, other than, other than that. I think it's very simple. Um, so I gave it a three. So I gave it a three. How about that? How about that? We agree. I just my note is I find the projecting on people in this one annoying, because it's what you can see is this is where I say they had a good idea in theory, but it didn't always work out in practice. So like there are parts of the credits where you can kind of read what it says. Yeah, and other times it's blurred. And the print's blurred, and sometimes they clearly just went back and just projected on a wall or something so you can, because like if it had like five names, you, you couldn't read it with all right. the motion and everything. So it, it has to, it, 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 it gives the sense that they had to kind of go back and fix it so you could read everything, and that makes it jarring, because some of it is, a, is the dancing girl and some of mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's just kind of a, it's a chore to get through to me. I, again, I like the idea and I think they do some things like that later that are better, but here I just didn't think it was as effective. Yeah. So talking of opening credits, it brings us to the theme song. Oh, the theme song. Which right. is actually not in the opening credits. It is not. There's two, there's two versions, but they're both cool. Uh-huh. I like them both. They're very different. So do you want to, do you want to? Um. So I, I like the melody as the opening. Yeah. Um, but the actual Matt Monroe song, I'm not that. Really? I think it works. I think it works well as source music, like when in the punting scene when it's playing on the radio as the couple as the you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They go by and stuff. I think that works quite well. But as a theme song at, at the end of the movie, it's a bit middle of the road blah for me, and I don't think it really carries. I don't think it really reflects what the movie was. Having just watched it, it doesn't. It just seems a bit yeah. Uh, out of, it fits out of more with the beginning of the movie, I think, than with the end, the second half. Yeah. Of the movie. So I didn't really think it was strong enough for for a theme. Uh, so I think I gave it a four. Yeah. Interesting. I I gave both. I gave it an eight overall because I like both versions. I thought what was interesting. I'd never really noticed this before. The opening version at the beginning of the movie starts out as an instrumental of that song but very quickly it just morphs completely into the James Bond thing yeah, yeah. it like it, it bails out on that song within like a minute and goes to da 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 you know yeah. just completely it doesn't even incorporate it into it it just abandons it and goes to a different yeah. thing so that was that was interesting it's like they didn't have confidence in that song to have it as the main theme more than like a minute yeah it was interesting so yeah yeah 
Uh, talking of which, next one up, and our last one is, last category is the music overall. Yeah, the overall score, um, I'll go ahead and tell you, I gave this one a nine because two reasons. One, I like, even though that song, like you say, it wasn't the greatest song ever, but it's okay, I think. I like that they were able to incorporate it into the incidental music all through the movie, and it and it works. I think just that tune by itself, that da 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 da, that is a good little Bond light motif that, yeah. to go that runs all through it and pulls it together. I think the best Bond movies often have something like that that runs right. through it. We know that Live and Let Die pops up all the way through that one, for example, and there's others. So that's really good. I thought. And then um, I like that, this is what I was gonna talk to you about, okay? Did you notice that in both Dr. No, this is, this is what happens when I take a couple of years off from watching the movies and then watch them in order again, okay? Both Dr. No and From Russia With Love, when Bond walks around a hotel room, they suddenly play the really brassy- The Bond theme, yes. And it's like, on the one hand, it's like they're saying we need to do something to jazz this scene up because he's just walking around the hotel room. But on the other hand, it's getting kind of it's 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 like a lot for walking around a hotel room. It's like, duh, you know, and he's just walking around looking at stuff. And for the other thing, it's getting kind of weird that every time he walks around a hotel room by himself, you hear the Bond theme blasting out. So what? What? Do I you love think? that. I, I miss it. I, it's funny. I, again, I said to Jill on Thursday night when he was when he, we walked into the hotel and he was walking across the hotel lobby and you know you get the Bond theme. Yeah, I, was yeah. like, I was like, I miss the days of him just walking across hotel lobbies to the Bond theme. To the Bond theme. Yeah. Um, I, for me, that's always one. It, it, it's interesting that they actually still put that in the narr- they put that in the narrative that he's just doing something very basic like checking into her hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they were also in this one setting up the fact that they were manipulating which room he'd end up in and stuff like that. Yes. Um, but I think the Bond theme, playing the Bond theme over what is a non-action piece, which is just a basic basic piece sets the expectation that yeah this may be ordinary and dull but we're heading into something exciting and unknown and i think we sort of enough. lost that ability to use music or it's just not done anymore that they use the music to fore- foreshadow stuff that's or set it set a future mm-hmm. m- uh, mood if you like and I, I like the way they do that in the bond movies and i really do i was half joking the other night but i really actually do miss that that they don't use the Bond theme for him just just being James Bond and just turning <laughs> up at a hotel. Um, so yeah, I really like it. And for me, this is the first full outing for John Barry as the composer. It's a great score. Um, as you say, he, he really works it well in. And it introduces my personal favorite version of the James of a theme for James Bond, which is not the James Bond theme, but it's the 007 theme that John Barry wrote. Totally on his own, no Monty Norman. Just that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. But that for me is the Bond theme. Um, that's the one that we last see in Moonraker. Yeah, right? yeah, it's the been boat used, chase. Yeah, yeah, and it's not been used. It since. starts with a boat chase and ends with a boat chase. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's a slower version in Moonraker, though. It's that yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. slowed down. Yeah, yeah. But, I like but it. it's using the gypsy camp fight here oh, to yeah. great effect, and it's, it is my favorite double, my favorite Bond theme. And the 007 theme. It's one of my all-time favorite music. That's great. Music cues. So for that, um, this gets a solid uh, nine out of ten for me for for the music. 
You are correct. I gave it a nine. Okay. I did indeed. And um, I think I was going to say you, you made the reference about him showing him checking into a hotel, showing him walking around the room and everything. In, in today's world, there would have to be an assassin try to kill him within two seconds. Like, yeah. what, you can't just show that with, no. No, with nothing else happening. No. There has to be something else. And it's, it's too bad because it has, there, was, there was something, you know, I know they're trying to make him more fast-paced and keep your attention and everything now, but there's something about just taking it easy and steady with a story that you don't have to have every second filled with a ninja fight you know, right, or something. Yeah. So. And come off. how many times have you checked into a hotel and walked a lot across the lobby having a James Bond theme to yourself? <laughs> Uh, you know, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see in Golden Eye. I mean, we'll see in Goldfinger if uh, if if he walks around a hotel room while it goes. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. All right. So, what has aged the best, and what has aged the worst about From Russia with Love? Do you want to do that before we give our overall scores? Or do you want to do the? Oh, oh, I, yeah. I forgot about the overall. So you need to give it an overall score. Let's do the overall. That's fine. Yeah. So, you want to go? You want me to go? I'll go. Okay. okay. So, as I said, this is one of my top five Bond movies. Um, I was backwards and forwards between an eight and a nine. I really wanted to give it, give it an eight and a half, but I settled on an eight. Okay. Um, but my, math, my mathematical overall was 7.33. So, I wasn't really, yeah, really yeah. close then. Yeah. All right. I gave it a nine. Okay. Just because it's always been in my top five. Mm-hmm. And it's got great characters, good and bad. And I think that also it has the appeal that it's one that I find non-James Bond fans get into. Yeah. I feel like this is, this is one that you don't have to be a Bond aficionado to really enjoy. Because it doesn't throw tons of stuff at you. It's just kind of a basic story with very vivid characters. And you can... This is one I quite often recommend when somebody says, what, you know, what yeah. movie should I watch? It's like, yeah, th- this is one. So um, I agree. So actually, so your subjective score was nine, but your mathematical score overall was six point six seven. So <laughs> well, because the lows are low, <laughs> and that drags down the, uh, yeah. the the vehicles and gadgets and credit sequence score kind of drag things did, down. Did, but did, yeah. but those are incidental to yeah. the to the part we enjoy. But uh, it's always it's always fun. Yeah, seeing what the component parts don't always add up to the whole, but sometimes the that's whole fair. Is yeah, that's right. So now, what's age the best? What's age the worst for you? Ooh, what's age the best? I think age the best is the story overall. Like you said, I think it's something that a non-Bond fan can That's what watch. I have. Uh, That's just, what I said. Um, what's age the worst? Titania's character, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once I start thinking about her as a as an actual female character and growth and stuff, that ooh, you know, yeah. let, let, let's you know, let's have lots of baby stuff and maybe make love to me all day and night and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> night and day. Night and day. Yeah. It does have one of the greatest lines in Bond history though, when she says she keeps interrupting, James, would you make love to me in London? Night and day. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> the way he says that talk, is talk just... about the machine. Yeah, I'm bored. Talk about the machine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so classic. Yeah. I um yeah, I had that it, what's aged the best is it's just a pure spy story. There's no end of the world threat, just a lot of sneaking around and spying, which is awesome for, because only a handful of them really kind of do that. Yeah. And then for me, the worst, it's, it is, I think overall, it's just how women are treated because I had several things I noted, but every one of them ends up being about how a woman is treated. There's how Tatiana's treated. There's how the gypsies girls are treated. Uh-huh. There's even Kareem's secretaries. Yeah. 
plural who are basically and and what's even worse to me is not only does he like sexually harass his secretaries they seem to want more and he's like not now yeah i'm trying to actually work no come sexually harass me more no i'll get to you in a all right back to the salt mines and that great line so yeah uh i'll set aside the hard work i'm doing to go sexually harass you some It just it was a different age. It was, yeah. Different world, yeah. So yeah. and even Sylvia Trench, I mean, I even left her out. She even kind of gets the old there's that bit where she's like, um, when he says I'll stay an extra thirty minutes and she kinda like does that yes kind of clap. Yeah, yes. a little clap thing. Yeah, but she's getting her way. I, so. yeah, I know. But what she's getting is that she gets the man to stay longer or whatever. That's fine. It's just it's yeah. just, just so dated. But which yeah. is which is what she wanted. I mean, that's why she was there. She yeah. That's yeah. exactly and I guess that um, when that's the when when just being dated and how it portrays women in the early '60s is the worst thing you can say about it, then it's pretty it's aged pretty well. Yeah, um, and I just just the end the end scene with the the movie real and again I oh yeah you know them filming them having sex in bed and then they were going to use it to blackmail and stuff just I don't know it doesn't make sense that never really yeah uh, that's one of those things I imagine must work better in the book I can't remember must yeah, work better yeah, in the yeah, book yeah, yeah yeah but but the last scene where they did the whole stuff of you know them throwing it overboard and then the, the, the waving hand which is not even Connery's arm it's, it's Oh gosh! I was going to ask you. I yeah, the, the thought that you could scandalize James Bond by showing him in bed with a wo- beautiful woman. Yeah. It, 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 would anybody not yawn at that scandal? I mean, right. that's like that's like showing a race driver in his car. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's in his car. What are we going to do? All right. The double taking. Pi- I like the name of this award. The <laughs> double taking pigeon most cringeworthy moment award. Who do you give that award to, or what moment? Ooh. Most cringeworthy. Most cringeworthy moment. I gave it to the gypsy women fawning over Bond after an evening of gathering evidence to choose between <laughs> them, quote unquote. So that was kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd go with that too. Yeah, it's kind of cringy. Kind of yeah. cringy. The, the when the when Bond and the two women come out of the trailer the next morning, the pigeon goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're all best buddies, as you say. Yeah. Mending his, that whole thing of him mending his shirt while he's. Yeah, and he's not even stopping eating while she's trying to mend his shirt. He's moving his arm around. And she, she's trying to chase it. Yes, uh, exactly. It's like, like yeah, oh yeah, god. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, and then finally, the best Bond moment of this movie. This is a tough one. I had a hard time. Yeah, it's tough because there's so many good Bond movies. Yeah, I had a hard time. I really had a hard time. I actually think it's him tricking, because when he's. Grant has him on the floor oh, with yeah. the gun pointed and he's got and I love the fact that Grant says put your hands in your it's such a simple thing to disable somebody but just put, put your hands in your pockets and keep them there yeah yeah because you can't you know no sudden moves things. so the fact that he manages to play to Grant's greed yeah and he builds he builds slowly that that he, he eats out of him that he's you know yes he he's, he's not doing it for ideals he's doing it for money mm-hmm. um, and then he starts to play on that and then sort of builds his Suspicion? No, not suspicions. What's the word I'm looking for? Grant's interest in in the money in the in the case and stuff, and then he's like, "Oh, I'll get it." And then he's oh, that was going to say. Let, all right, let me say. So, that was what I thought was really really clever. Was that there's two cases. Yeah. So when Bond wants to open the first one, 
He's like, oh, here, I'll open it for you. He says it really eagerly like this might save me. And Grant's like, oh, oh, oh you sit there. I'll open it. Yeah. And then he, you know, well, I mean, yeah. he, no, no. First Grant makes him open it. Right? Yeah, yeah. First Grant makes Bond yeah, open it. Show, and show. then, and he does it the safe way. Yeah. So now Grant thinks, okay, there's nothing to it. And there's another one. He opens that, that one. one. That yeah. was very smart, I thought. Yeah. So I thought for me, that was the bomb was him using his head. Yes. And, and manipulating and Manipulating him. his opponent. Yeah. And also understanding what assets he had around him, even though he was... On the surface, immobilized and in a helpless position, he actually t- turned the whole situation on its head. Sure did. So I thought that was a really cool moment. I have to note, though, talking about restraining him with his pockets, there's a lot of restraining people using their clothing in this movie. Because think about it. You've got, there's on a couple of occasions, they pull the jacket down over the guy's yeah, which, shoulders. Which, again, is a simple and a very effective yeah. way of doing it. Yeah. So they, they restrain the guy, the, the hitman in the cabin, doing that. Yeah. He ties the, the guy in the truck's arms up with his belt. Yeah. Pulls his belt off and, yeah, and yeah. ties his arms up. And then Grant has him put his hands in his pocket. So yeah. it's like mm, there's at least three, if not four, occasions in this movie that they use your clothes to yeah. restrain you. That's crazy. Yeah. Just, and it, when you see it, you think, yeah, that's a, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's effective. Like the third time, I'm like, they just keep doing this. <laughs> it's like next time you just use strings to practical. Yeah, spycraft, I guess. Very, very practical. Yeah. yeah. If, I feel like there's a fourth time that he tries to pull somebody's jacket down over their arms. Maybe it's in the fight with Red Grant that he kind of pulls the jacket down or something, and he and it doesn't really work that time. But maybe I feel like there's a fourth time. But I know there's those three. All right. So have we covered everything? We did our overall rating. So. Yeah. So, you, what was your overall rating? Uh, eight. Eight. Mine was so so eight and a half. If our average, right, yeah. is pretty darn good. This yeah. is a good one. Yeah, it All is right. a good one. Yeah, like we both said, both in our top five. For me, I think this is the the best Connery movie. It's hmm. well. I mean, I love not necessarily the most so enjoyable, much. but it's yeah. the best. Well, okay. All right. Because, like I said, I have two go-to Connery depending on what mood I'm in. Yeah. If I want to watch a good spy James Bond movie, this would be one. If I just want to watch Bond blow shit up, I'll watch You Only Live Twice. <laughs> so. Well, and I have a soft spot for Thunderball too because I don't mind the underwater stuff, and the rest of Thunderball is just a plus to me. So, okay. it's that's the thing though. The thing that the fact that there are multiple Connery ones that are all arguably great. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I don't know that that's true of anybody. I mean, you know, Roger Moore has two or three maybe. Brosnan has one, kind of, maybe two, depending on how you look at it. But Moore has got like three, four that that are just home runs, you know. I mean Connery. I mean Connery, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's really, really amazing. So, all right. All right, well, I guess um, our we'll get on out of here for another episode. And uh, on Her Magic Secret Podcast, we'll return next time. We will do... Goldfinger. Alright, thank you much, Alan. My pleasure. And we're leaving LA soon, so it was really cool to be here and do this live from Los Angeles. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.